This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Today's message is entitled, Be the Reflection of Christ. And I really believe that moms are quite the reflection of Christ. And let me share with you how I've come to that conclusion. There's a children's book. I think it's called The Giving Tree, something to that effect. And there's a large tree, and the child at first takes from it an apple, then needs branches for a fire, then wants to eventually make a canoe or something and takes off some of that. Well, by the time the book ends, the tree is but a stump. And what a self-sacrificing example of a mom. You give heart and soul. You give this and that and the other thing. I mean, you are always sacrificing. But Jesus, of course, is the ultimate example of sacrifices. But then think about your mom. It says, there's a saying that says, Every virtue is learned from your mother's knee. Every vice is learned from some other joint. So in other words, our moms did pass on virtues to us. And we're going to look at some of these virtues from Colossians 3 in a moment. But before we do, I want you to know this is different. If I just gave you a list of virtues and said, a good human being has these virtues because their mom wants them to live a clean and good, responsible, upright life, I would fail you. We are taking it up to a higher level. Literally, we're taking it up to heaven because we're talking about spiritual virtues that are very practical. So let's look here at the text itself. There are four points from chapters 3 and 4 of Colossians regarding Christ-likeness. First of all, there are fantastic views. There are fruitful virtues, secondly of all. There are family values, third. And there are faithful volunteers. Each one of these groupings focus on Christ. Let's see how this works out. First of all, fantastic views. It says in Colossians 3, 1 to 3, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So here's the supernatural part, that you and I... Before we trusted in Christ, we were dead in our sins. That is, we were unresponsive to God. But when we trusted in Christ, 
we died to sin and we were raised with Christ into the heavenlies. And that's where we should be setting our hearts continuously and setting our minds. We should be thinking about the fact that our earthly practice should be worthy of our heavenly position. That once we were dead in sin and now we're dead to sin, we're to live up to what Christ has done for us. Heaven is our home and we're headed there. And when we see Christ, it says in 1 John 3, 1, we shall be like him. And so you've been made full in Christ. You are to live out that fullness in Christ. Now here's the best way I have to explain this because I want you to notice it says in verse 4, when Christ who is your life. Now wait a second, how does this work? When I was 14 years old, I realized I'm a sinner. I realized Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I was a bashful, wallflower kind of kid with tons of acne. I didn't want to be up in public. But the preacher said, if you want to receive Christ, come forward. Come on down. And something inside me compelled me. And I ran down the aisle all the way from the back. And the counselor says, well, tell me why you came forward. And I said, well, you know, on Christmas Day, when there's presents under the tree, and you know a present has your name on it? I feel like God has a present for me with my name on it. And the guy was like, wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, the free gift of life, eternal life, is through faith in Jesus Christ. And I prayed to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I went out and hot tears of joy were streaming down my cheeks. And I said a baby Christian prayer. I said, thank you, God, for loving me. My faith became real. My faith became personal. I couldn't rely on my parents' faith or my grandparents' faith. I had to trust in Jesus for myself, and I did at age 14. Well, that was the beginning of learning about the Christian life. I was reading the Living Bible, scouring it and checking off the chapters I was reading when I came to Romans 8.28 that says, "...for we know that God works all things for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose." And I said, wow, what a great promise. But then verse 29 says that he's conforming me to the image of Christ. Just then, the Holy Spirit just said to me, Lou, that's what it's all about. Your job description as a Christian is to be conformed to the image of Christ, is to grow in Christ like this in character and in conduct, yet with your own unique personality. Now watch this. God is not asking you not to be you. He wants you to be you, your personality. But he wants Jesus to shine through you. He wants Jesus to live through the filter of your personality. So Galatians 2.20 was the next verse God showed me, which is, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's the best illustration I've ever come across. If I had a latex living glove, I would lay it right here on the pulpit. And guess what? It's not very alive. It's made out of plastic or rubber. But 
if I insert my hand in that glove, that glove has all the power and strength and dexterity of my hand, doesn't it? So when I received, before I received Christ, I was dead in sin. But when I trusted in Christ, God forgave me of my sin and Jesus came into my life by his Holy Spirit. And now I'm alive in Christ and Christ is my life. And Christ is living through me. When people look at me and they say, there's something different about you, I can only say, that's Jesus. You see, I have this transcendent power in this crack pot, this earthen vessel. And when I'm going through a struggle or a hard time, and people say, how can you have hope? How can you have uh, confidence and calmness in the midst of this crisis? I say, it's only Jesus. I don't know what people would do without the Lord. We need the Lord. Jesus is our life. And Jesus didn't just save our soul. He caused us to die to sin, to rise to heaven, and to be seated at the right hand of God the Father with him. In other words, in God the Father's sight, salvation is a complete act. It's already done. Fine. You're already saved to the ultimate. You're already up in heaven, the real you. So then what should you be doing here on earth? You should be living in light of eternity. Every decision you make, every relationship you have, you should be saying, how does this help me glorify God and, and please Him as opposed to, hey, I want to get all the gusto I can in life. I want to get all I can, can all I get, and sit on the can. I mean, that's an earthly perspective. We need to have an eternal perspective. So we have a fantastic view as Christians. Now, with that in mind, we then turn to fruitful virtues. The reason it has to be spiritual is because you cannot live out these virtues in the flesh, in the power and the energy and the fumes of your own personality. Benjamin Franklin listed a whole bunch of virtues he was going to master. And the first one he worked on was humility. And when he mastered humility, he boasted to everybody about it and ruined it. You see, you can't achieve these virtues fully and truly apart from Jesus living inside you. Only Jesus living inside you can you really do these things. So the first instruction is what's called negative theology. Negative theology does not mean bad. It's important that if you're going to put on the good, you have to put off the bad, right? So in verse 5, it says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And it makes a list. And in verse 8, it says, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. And it makes a list. And the picture here it's going to get to in verse 9 and 10 is that of clothing. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And the next verse is going to say, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So I want you to see something. When I became a Christian, God gave me an extreme makeover. He took off all of my filthy garments and he dressed me in his robe of righteousness. Now, 
I like to gussy this up some. If you're a woman, pretend you're in the most beautiful ball gown. If you're a man, pretend you have the sharpest tucks, right? You have been clothed in Christ with his righteousness. You look fabulous. But what if a dirty, stinky sock gets stuck to your outfit? Static cling. I mean, you look good, but then it's like walking out of a bathroom and having a piece of toilet paper on the back of your shoe. I mean, somehow it detracts from how beautiful you're supposed to be. Well, what's the Bible saying? It's saying, take that thing off. It doesn't. It's not befitting of your new outfit in Christ. So take off that dirty sock of rage or anger or or sexual immorality, or, or whatever, um, hatred even, unforgiveness. That does not look like Jesus. Michelangelo was asked, how did you carve, sculpt, the famous statue in Florence of David? And I've been there with Shirley, and we've seen David. It's huge, it's beautiful. And he did that out of sto- a block of stone. How did you do it? And Michelangelo said, Well, I just chipped away everything that didn't look like David. And that's the Christian life. We need to chip away everything that does not look like Jesus. And you know what? It's a process of taking off what doesn't belong to our outfit and affirming the outfit that we have because we've been clothed with Christ. So what does Christ look like? Is Christ compassionate? Oh, yes. He saw the people like Sheep without a shepherd, helpless and harassed, and he was moved with compassion. Is Jesus kind? The Greek word for Christ is Christos. The Greek word for kindness is Christos. So in other words, you're no more like Christ than when you're kind. Isn't that interesting? Humility. Christ came into Jerusalem, not riding on a white stallion, but on a donkey, and even the foal of a donkey. He was gentle. He was patient. He is gentle. He is patient. So when you are compassionate and kind and humble in Christ kind of way, which doesn't mean you think of yourself as being less, you just think of yourself less, if you caught the play on words. So in other words, you're thinking about others. You're not self-centered, but other-centered. That's humility. You have an accurate assessment of who you are in Christ. That's humility. So All of these virtues have to be empowered by what? Jesus Christ living in you. Jesus is your life. Can you be compassionate without Christ? Uh, Yeah, to some degree you can be. Can you be truly compassionate and reflect Christ apart from Christ? No, you need Jesus in your life. He's the secret sauce of eternal life. Well, the virtues that are divine, you've got to put this one up here. To err is human, but to forgive is divine. It says in Colossians 3, 13, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Jesus told a story about a a guy who owed a lot of money and his master had mercy and forgave him the debt. But then this other guy owed him just 10 bucks and he sent him to torture prison, debtor's prison to be tortured until $10 worth of skin was ripped off of him. And when the big master found out, 
you did that to someone owing you 10 bucks and you owed me $10 million? I'm sending you to debtor's prison. And Jesus said, soul will be with you if you don't forgive from your heart. What does that mean? It means you will not experience the fullness of God's forgiveness unless you practice forgiveness on an ongoing basis. When I pray the Lord's Prayer, and I get to that part that says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, I picture a radar screen, and I picture the people who have hurt me, and I say, Lord, as an act of the will, because you have forgiven me, I forgive this person. I cancel my IOUs against them. I release them. I take them off of my hook of accountability, and I put them on your hook of accountability. I have to forgive these people first, not for God to forgive me. He'll always forgive me. But for me to experience the fullness of his forgiveness, I've got to practice that. That's the only part of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus made a comment on. You've got to forgive if you're going to experience forgiveness. That's supernatural. Can you forgive an enemy? Can you forgive someone who hurt you? Can you forgive someone who violated your trust? Can you forgive someone who has wronged you in the flesh, in your own energy? You can try, but it's going to be like pushing down 15 ping pong balls underwater. Some of those ping pong balls are going to pop up and resentment, which means to refeel the anger and the hurt, is going to come popping back up. The only way you can forgive is by looking to the cross and seeing that through the cross, God forgave you. And only by that forgiveness, that divine forgiveness, can you forgive others. It's supernatural. It's not something of human nature and wisdom. And of course, it says in verse 14, and over all these virtues, put on love. Love binds them all together in perfect unity. Love is the girdle. You know what a girdle is, right? It holds the stuff in. It holds you together. And if you don't have it, then blah. Right? So you need the girdle of love. Because love's going to hold all those virtues together. Now watch this. Because in this section, 15 to 17, what Paul does is he says three things. Notice the peace of Christ, the message of Christ, and the name of the Lord Jesus. We're going to see this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. This divine virtue is that let the peace of Christ rule means umpire. What would happen today? What would happen tomorrow if you were aware that you had peace in your heart and that you could keep peace between you and other people? When somebody argues with you, you could choose to stand up on your rights and be dead wrong and lose that relationship. Or you could let peace rule. Two monks had lived in a cloistered monastery for years, and they got along with peace and love and harmony. When one monk says to the other, let's do what the world does, and let's have an argument. I don't know how to do that, the other monk said. Well, here's a rock. I'm going to say, this is my rock. And so he said, this is my rock. And the other monk says, well, brother, if it's your monk rock, keep it. End of argument. You see how letting the peace of Christ rule, umpire, changes your relationship? You don't have to insist on your rights. You don't have to uh, prove yourself. You don't have to 
uh, lift yourself up to the expense of others. You can be a peacemaker instead of a conflict contributor. And then next, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So this one, the message of Christ, let it dwell. The word dwell means let it be at home. So in other words, read the Bible so that you get so well acquainted with it, it's at home in your heart. When I was a high schooler, they uh, said, Lou... Did you know you speak in King James? Because that's what I had, the King James Version. I read it so much that I started saying thee and thou all the time. Because the word was in my heart. I was comfortable with the word. Do you have the word or does the word have you? That's what we're talking about. If you let the word have you, it's going to come out of you and you're going to be encouraging others with it. And then finally, it says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Christ-likeness is letting the peace of Christ umpire, letting the word of Christ be at home in our hearts so we live it and obey it. And in whatever we do, we do in the name of Christ. Let me just stop here real quick. We sang songs, praise the name of Jesus. Why do we praise the name of Jesus as opposed to praise Jesus? Do you know what name means? Name means the quality of the person. Name means the reputation of the person. Name means the essence of the person. So when you're living in the name of Jesus, you're living aligned with who Jesus is. So Alexander the Great conquered the world. And a traitor, one of his own, who had run in the heat of battle, was brought to him. And Alexander the Great said, What's your name? And he said, Alexander? He says, either change your behavior or change your name. We live in the name of Christ. Therefore, we are to do everything with his name on it. So we have family values next. And I'm not going to go into detail, just to say that thanks to Jesus, it changes your whole family. Instead of fighting for who's in charge, there's mutual cooperation. There's love and tenderness. There's listening and obedience. By the way, did you catch something here? It says obedience in the text. It doesn't say listening. Why did I put listening in there? Because you can't obey unless you listen. My wife, Shirley, says that my life would be 100% better if I'd only something. Uh, I, she said something. Oh, oh, wait a second. I think it was like, if you listen to me, it, that's right. If I'd only listened to her, then my life would be way better. And I have to tell you, the times I've listened to her, yes, my life has gotten way better. But the times I didn't listen to her, let me tell you a time I didn't listen to her. She said, we're on vacation in British Columbia. Whatever you do, work out in the gym. I know you're training for a marathon, but don't go running outside. Guess what I did? I ran outside. British Columbia, it's beautiful. I wanted to get out there. And I overshot the hotel, went down a hill, and realized the hotel's back there. And I turned quickly and tore my medial meniscus. And I limped on back into the uh, hotel room. And she said, I told you so, but you didn't listen. And then... Under family values, it says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know 
that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Even your job, you do it as unto the Lord. It goes on to say, um, oh, I'll stop there. Um, it goes on to say, and I remember this verse very clearly because I was doing a triathlon competition indoors as a fundraiser, and I was doing the stationary bike super fast. And my daughter came standing right next to me, and she quoted this. Hey, Dad, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it's the Lord Christ you're serving. And I was blessed that my daughter was encouraging me with this scripture. But what it means is, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Do you know why? Mother Teresa is so famous because people in India, in Calcutta, would leave the dying at the curb. And she would collect those people and bring them into a special room where the Sisters of Mercy would love on them and care for them until they died. Malcolm Muggridge was a mean curmudgeon. He was the editor of Punch Magazine. Get it? Punch Magazine? There's nothing he wouldn't punch at. He wanted to do a story on Mother Teresa. He went out to India. He had a cameraman with him. They went into the room of the dying. The cameraman said, it's too dark. It'll never show. He said, film anyway. They filmed. They came back to Great Britain. They saw the film. It came out. The cameraman says, I have no logical way to explain how this happened except the glow of love in that room. And Mother Teresa, her philosophy was, I served others as if they were Jesus himself. Whatever we do, do it as unto the Lord. And as a result, that mean, crusty, curmudgeon, Malcolm Muggridge, became a believer in Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? People, watch your testimony. And I'm going to fast track us to the last point, which is faithful volunteers. Paul ends his letter by mentioning key people. And the one I want you to know about is Epaphras. He's one of them. That he's, he's from Colossae. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. And again, this reminds me of a mom. What does a mom do? She's always praying and concerned about her kids. If her kid is sick, she's thinking about that kid when she's washing the dishes. He's thinking about that kid when she's putting a, a, a compress on his forehead or her forehead. She's always wrestling out of love and concern for the kids. And then, what does she want? She wants the kid to grow up to be independent, to stand on their own two feet. You know, after we die, we don't want a monument. We want a living memorial on two feet. You know what I'm saying? You could build the biggest, you know, mausoleum or whatever and be buried in that. And people, wow, that guy was pretty rich. Who cares? Or you could have a grandkid or a great-grandkid or a great-great-grandkid who really loves people and changes the world. And wow, that's a memorial to you. Isn't that what you want? And so we are to pray. And I want you to know this morning, somebody's praying for you. You're not here in this church by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Have the things I said 
been clear. Let me just ask you, do they make sense? God loves you so much, he gave Jesus to die on the cross in your place so your sins could be forgiven. All he asks is that you say, yes, I need that divine pardon. Please forgive me. Come into my life by your Holy Spirit. And when you do that, he comes into you and he fills you with life and he empowers you to live on a completely different plane. You think you're living, you're just existing. You don't know life until you know Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I'm going to invite you to just pray with me, and you can trust in Christ right now. Let's pray. If you'd like to ask Jesus into your heart, simply between you and him alone, pray. Say, Lord, I am a sinner. I've blown it. I'm not perfect. Please forgive me of all my sin. Jesus, thank you. You died in my place, and your blood was poured out so that my sins could be washed away. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life by your Spirit. Give me eternal life, this full and abundant life that Pastor Lou's been talking about. Jesus, come into my life. I want to know why I was created, what's the purpose for living, how to make a difference for eternity. Jesus, come into my life. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.